0: SoFi, the all-in-one super app for banking, borrowing, and investing. Earn industry-leading APY, get great loan rates, and trade stocks. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A., NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. fuck on the east coast for those that said there's no way swizzle's gonna be there tomorrow given what happened yesterday here i am there's dan there's elizabeth uh today's market call as you know is brought to you by facts at our data provider and Sofi. get your money right and all out in one app but before we even start i'll say the following you know we do a lot of work we share emails and texts over the weekend we read a lot and it just goes to show you, I mean, I can read everything I want, but the, the amount to which the degree to which I've been wrong about things is staggering. So I wanted to just throw that maya culpa out there before we get started. However, fear not, because it is Thursday, Dan. And as you know, if it's Thursday, it's butter. So we're going to get his work um, and we'll see. But it's going to be fun. I mean, obviously, the, the fireworks of yesterday are in the somewhat the rearview mirror. The market's picking up on it again today. Dan, Elizabeth, how are you? Liz
1: talking. Great. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. You guys, guys, I'm guessing, are Seinfeld fans, not friends fans. No. There's that episode of Friends where Ross is trying to get a couch up the staircase and it's like, pivot, pivot. (laughs) That meme, I'm sure, got a lot of use yesterday. That's what happened. I guess anything that's bad has been canceled.
2: Yeah. Well, it is interesting. You know, we've been talking a lot about, like, financial conditions, the easing of financial conditions. And what just happened over the last, call at 24 hours, at least as it relates to the stock market, at least where it relates to 30-year mortgage rates and, and how they have come in, I think, the first time below 7% in a while. I mean, you think of, like... Are we like, and Guy, you and I talked about this yesterday. So we're an hour before the Fed decision. We're doing market call. And we said that, you know, like, listen, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, some folks think this is like mid 90s stuff where we're on the precipice of a multi-year sort of run. And Mm -hmm. others think that we are. Early two thousand early two thousand and seven sort of stuff with the, the 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 pivot as far as the rate hiking cycle, the pause, the duration of the pause, and all that mm-hmm. stuff and, and again, I guess you could only have the sort of violent reaction to the change in one word okay in the statement, which was any okay um any um if there was a lot of i think trepidation on on both sides of this Mm -hmm. you know and danny moses has made this point very well um for the last month or so despite also being bearish he's like but and guy you said this and this you've said it but it might be clear sailing if we get benign data because of the sort of chase that you have into year end and such guys so like you know like again pivot, pivot, but like, it was fairly well telegraphed. I just like the reaction. Well, and this brings me back to November one guy in November 13, because the reaction on November 13 to what happened on that CPI was also confounding.
0: Well, I mean, telegraphed in so much as, and Elizabeth has talked about this, we brought it up. I mean, there are four, if not five rate cuts priced into the market for the last couple of months. And, you know, EY has brought up the fact that it seemed, and, and she's been right about this, they're going to drag it forward, and now to her point from a month or two ago, that drag forward gets you into a March cut, and who knows, you know what happens even prior to that. So we'll see. But you know, I'll say this as well: it is fascinating to see how quickly um, you know the euphoria around all clear, mission accomplished. You know, nothing bad is going to happen. You know, I'll say this: as I said, as I started the show. We read a lot of different things, and you know you go back and look at history as some sort of guide, and there are a number of different, I guess, points in time that you can pull from. But the data we have seen and again, we bring up these leading economic indicators and all the different things, and the duration with which the yield curve has been inverted, and the longer duration is, as Joe Lavornia pointed out last night, if we get to February, it'll be a record in terms of duration. And history says, you know, the longer the duration of an inversion. Typically, the worst the downturn is going to be in the more prolonged. So we'll see, but let's go to the rundown and get right to it here, Dan, uh, because there's a lot to talk about. As we said, Fed is preparing to shift to rate cuts. Good for them. Uh, the market has been anticipating they got what they wanted. Financial seemingly love that. Um, I understand that on a knee jerk reaction. And Toll Brothers share buyback, good for them? Or is it the, you know, are they doing it at the most inopportune time in terms of where the stock is and in terms of the cycle? But let's get right into it, Dan, Nathan, and yeah. EY from so far.
2: Yeah. So, so interestingly, guy, I don't know if you caught this on the closing bell yesterday after the Fed presser, um, EY was on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Um, it was interesting. So, Jeffrey Gunlock of Double Line just got done speaking. And I'm curious what you thought because there was like a, an interesting sort of juxtaposition. You know, Jeffrey seems very bearish, okay, on equities, on the economy, and and mm-hmm. and 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 then the, the prospects for a recession. And he thinks that the Fed did this because he wants to get people prepared to aggressively cut in the face of economic weakness, okay. Mm-hmm. And then Josh Brown, our friend T R B, um, you know, came on. He was he was basically jumping out of his seat in excitement mm-hmm. for everything that was going on in the markets and this or whatever, and landed the plane and all that sort of stuff. And I'm not I'm not bringing that up, poking fun. I mean, like that was the mood of the market, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, what was your take? Because I, I, and I heard you, but I'm just Mm -hmm. saying now that you have a little more time to kind of dissect it, I know you talked to a bunch of folks and everything like that, you know, being down there at the moment, it was just an interesting juxtaposition between those two voices. And you came on and you were a bit more
1: well, I mean, it's, it was an emotional moment, I yeah. think, for a lot of investors. And you've got a Dow. I know that how much you guys love talking about the Dow. Yeah. A Dow that hit new all-time highs. I mean, you can't deny that, yeah. right? And then it just fuels the momentum even further. And, and I've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. If things don't surprise us to the downside, we probably can rally through year-end. And this is a point where if you really want to be short-term-y about it, just ride it. Just let it run. Yeah. Let the clock run out on it. I think it will run out. And now we're at this point where... The funny part about yesterday, and I didn't get to say this on TV, but the thing about yesterday that I don't think has gotten enough attention is that up until yesterday's meeting, my take has been that Jerome Powell has said, I don't care what the market thinks. We are going to continue this fight. We are going to keep hiking if we want to. I don't care about financial conditions easing. Last meeting, he he sort of alluded to it, but he basically had said, that's not what we're watching, right? Then what happened yesterday is the Fed, for the first time in a long time, came closer to what the market was saying. And it was a turn, just a very nuanced turn, but a turn in the sense of, wow, was the market actually ahead of this? Did the market have this right? And if you look, and this is in my note as well, but if you look at what the market expects for cuts and what the Fed expects for cuts, it's still different. And yeah. those when those two lines are far apart, that's volatility inducing. So yes, we got a pivot. Yes, we got sort of reaffirmation of everything that has driven the rally to this point. And I think that's fine. But- I would have to side more with Gunlock. Yeah,
2: Guy, but here's the thing, and, and maybe our peeps can pull up a day chart of the S&P 500. The whole idea to get complacent right now after the violence of the rally, after the breakout a couple weeks ago, yesterday's move, look at the gap that we had today and look at the way it's selling off, right? And and so to me, like, and maybe they can pull up the KRE. I mean, there's a couple parts of this, uh, you know, market that are really outperforming on a day where the S&P right now, is basically, you know, up fifteen basis points, guys. So, how, like, so I think you want to be really careful right now about not being complacent with a twelve VIX and 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 believing that the next two weeks is off to the races. Because to your point is, we might have had a pull forward of some of this enthusiasm mm-hmm. over the last few weeks, Guy, Thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. But you know, I'll yes, I agree with you, and I am not changing my stance. I'm acknowledging that it's been wrong. But, you know, people will say, "Well, you know, complacency, or let's put it this way, too much rigor has been the exact wrong thing to be over the last you know, call it three or four months. So you know, why should I be rigorous now when it hasn't paid off to be? And I can understand people saying that, but I'll push back and say the following, you know and you've said this a number of times. the higher we go into year end, and this is eerily reminiscent of what you said a couple of years ago, you know the worse it potentially be going forward into the new year and I'm still of that belief. I don't think, you know, the funny, nothing fundamentally changed in terms of the concerns that I have. I'm sure Elizabeth has, Dan you have as well. Like nothing changed. Whatever the Fed dud d- is going to do moving forward is probably going to be in anticipation or to try to rectify the things that I'm concerned about. Of course, historically saying that's the wrong time to be looking at the equity market, but there's no denying the animal spirits are back in spades, but I think you're right to bring up the fact that a 12 VIX suggests that although complacency has been rewarded, one has to wonder how long that's going to continue.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, so what Guy's kind of also alluding to is that in late 2021, I mean, it just felt really unnatural to us the way that the major indices, the, the SPX was still moving higher, the NASDAQ had already topped out in November. And then under the hood, there was just a lot of bad action. And so I look at today, you know, and if I just kind of, you know, pull up my my main fact set screen here, you know, um, it, it's not as green as you would think, right? And there's a lot of laggards that are doing a lot of the heavy lifting. So if I'm looking at GM and Ford up 5 and 6% respectively. Deer, which was trading very near a 52-week low just like a couple weeks ago, is up 4 or 5% or something like that. The whole host of other things that just really, to me, smack of like what was gonna, you know, basically what was going on right before we were in a bear market, which was 2022. So, you know, like I, I don't love manias and I think what we have right now is a bit of a mania. I'm looking at a Carvana up 17%. I'm looking at a whole, you know, so like that, that sort of stuff kind of bothers me And so I just, I get a little queasy here because it's not based on fundamentals. It's based on the dollar coming in. It's based on yields coming in. And that's great. Those are really important inputs to the stock market valuations and everything like that. But to me, it doesn't really say pedal to the metal right here, right now.
1: Yeah. Okay, so a couple things. I'll start by saying I, too, have been completely wrong this year about thinking that there was going to be some big event that would take us down. There was an event. I think we seem to forget about that, but it didn't take us down. And wrong about the idea that things were going to cool off and contract much sooner than they actually did. Right now as we sit again remember last week when I talked about the UR here Star guy got all fired up about I that. Did. But as we sit on the UR here Star things still look pretty good and to the market and to a lot of investors it seems like you know what there's kind of even chances that this could go well or this could go poorly. So for now we're going to choose glass half full and that's where the optimism is coming from. We can talk about this time is different till our faces turn blue. One thing that I think is never different is that when you have a contraction or a recession or a drawdown that's caused, and you, you might call it a financial crisis, something that is happening because of what's going on in markets, it is always caused by excessive risk-taking somewhere in financial markets. Mm-hmm. Every single time, it's, it is a little different, right? 2008, 2009 was excessive risk-taking in mortgage-backed securities. We can rewind and talk about that in a number of different ways. There's two differences here. Obviously, this isn't in mortgages, but this could be maybe it's tech, maybe it's Bitcoin, maybe whatever the risk taking is, the risk appetite right now that we're seeing is still very, very high, which lends itself to excessive risk taking. The thing that makes this particularly risky is that if you compare it to what happened in the financial crisis, we went into that with the majority of Americans having a lot of their net worth, the majority of their net worth tied up in their home. Now things have changed. They may not have the majority of their net worth tied up in the market, but they've got a lot more tied up in financial markets than they do in their home. And if that's the center of the risk, if it falls the wealth effect hits even harder. Yeah.
2: Hey, Guy, just, you know, one thing that we've talked about, so that's really consumer oriented that Liz has kind of described and we've talked about consumer debt. By the way,
0: Guy, you are not on
2: the big show tonight. I know you have a, you,
0: where are you going tonight? You have a, you have a big show. You're going uh, to a big show. Bocelli tonight at, at Long Hair at the Madison Square. As, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, Bocelli, I mean, I'm off topic a bit here, but I will tell you that every once in a while these generational talents come along and until you've seen that man and heard him sing live. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a religious experience. It's the most unbelievable thing. I mean, there are people weeping and he will sell out Madison square garden. I think he started tonight. I think it starts tonight and tomorrow, or last night and time, whatever, but people wow. flock to see this man. It's amazing.
2: That's yeah. Cool. Well, it's cool. You go every year. Uh, and yeah. he gets more excited than he does to go see his New York Rangers in there. Um, but we're having Nicer Sheila. Bair- crowd. Yeah, we're, we're having, yeah, exactly. We're, <laughs> we're, um, we're having Sheila Baron on guy. And I, I know you always appreciate having her on. I think she's been very candid. Um, you know, she used to run the FDIC, correct. Uh, during, in, in the, in the wake of the financial crisis and like, And it'll be interesting to see what she has to say. But one of the things that I think is really interesting, maybe we could pull up Adobe here for a second. Um, you know, we were talking about it on the on fast money last night. I mean, we're looking at that guide guy and we're like, wasn't that bad? You know, you know what I mean? Like as far as, but the stock was up 80 some percent, you know, right. up hundred percent from its lows or something like that, you know, trading at 35 times expected EPS and sales growth and maybe 12, 13% or something like that. And and my, my response, and actually you didn't get to say anything. So I'd love to get your take here. Is that like, if I'm that CEO, I'm that CFO heading into the new year. Um, I want to strike a sort of cautious tone. Wouldn't you think so guy? I mean, like, like, so so talk to me a little bit, because, and, and, and just pulling it all together, my point is, is that if there is an enterprise slowdown, and we've mm-hmm. been talking about this, right, so we started the year with all the job cuts in these big tech companies in particular, but we've seen them across a whole slew of different industries, you know, after that, you know, comes uh, like a like a subdued buying sort of environment, that's what, in companies like this, they're trading at multiples that we have not seen in a very long time, you know what I mean, like, they, they are vulnerable, in my opinion.
0: If we could, um, Jacob and or Steven could do a longer term chart and you go back to sort of the fall of 2021 in Adobe and take a look and you'll see, I mean, we pushed up towards, you know, close to those highs that we saw. i want to say, Oh, I'm surprised it was actually in the summer. I thought it was earlier than that, but it doesn't matter. You can see the chart here. Um, And, you know, that was seemingly on the back of a lot of this space was in vogue without question, but you saw how precipitously we dropped. And. We regained most of it. The price action today—if you look at that little island type of thing—you know, have this engulfing pattern there. The highs being higher than the prior day's high, the low now being lower. You know, these are typically patterns that technicians take a look at. To your point, though, specifically in terms of um, guidance, yeah, why wouldn't you be cautious? I was actually surprised. That was their fourth quarter they reported. They gave full year guidance for twenty-four. You know, I'm sort of surprised that they did. And maybe that's just something that they've historically done. But you're talking about a year where how can anybody have clarity given what's going on yeah. this year? And obviously, given some of the unknowns we've been talking about for a while next year.
2: Yeah. And let's pull up the IGV too um, on a one year. um, And it's interesting, Liz, because this is a group where Salesforce, Microsoft, Adobe, Intuit, Oracle, ServiceNow, by the way, Oracle can't get out of its own way trading at five month Mm -hmm. lows, you know, was trading at four month lows in late October. And we know the multiples on those names, you know, they gotten kind of fat. I mean, a retracement back to the breakout level, that is coming, whether it comes from a little bit higher than here, you know what I mean? It's coming. So that's my only point, Liz, about complacency right here, because Mm -hmm. if there is a fundamental reason to sell any of these. Okay. Like because as we get into Q4 earnings season towards the end of January, you know, watch out below because everybody is so crowded in these stocks for beliefs of, you know, they don't care about valuation or these secular shifts that are going, you know, whatever it is. So curious how you're thinking within tech. I know that you look at some of the subsectors in a way. Um, do you want to stick with the ones that have worked? You know, Carter came on yesterday on market call and on fast money, and he's saying, play the semis for a momentum continued momentum breakout,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I mean, to me, I'd really only be playing the laggards here that maybe have valuation support.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I would definitely be playing the laggards. So it, what's going on right now, and, and I think this will affect tech broadly, it already has affected tech broadly, is... It's not any new money that's going into the market. It's the same money that's just rotating around from the winners to the losers on the thesis that we're broadening out. Mm -hmm. Everything is getting better. So there's going to be this big catch-up trade and that's what's going to make this a new bull market. That's what's going to make it durable. And that's okay to ride, but you still have to ride the laggards then, not the ones that have led this market up. That probably continues unless we have bad news. But that probably continues until we have yields and rates come down to a point where it's no longer attractive to sit in a money market and get over 5% risk-free. And that'll happen sooner rather than later if we still see yields dropping like a rock like they Mm -hmm. have. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. This More than 30 basis points in the two-year yesterday, absolutely mind-boggling. But as rates drop, money markets will look less and less attractive, particularly if Cuts like this continue to be priced in, and then investors have to make a decision. And that was actually one of the points that Gunlock made on the show yesterday, that... When money starts to come out of money markets, people are assuming, the bulls are assuming that it's going to just flood into mm-hmm. some of the names that are already winning. Maybe that's maybe that'll be semis. Maybe that'll be the Magnificent Seven, mm-hmm. whatever, somewhere in the tech trade. And his point was, I don't think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to go into other bonds. I would say, yes, probably other bonds, but also the laggards if we're still moving up. So. To answer the question very briefly, no, I don't think that this year's winners are going to be next year's winners. And I think if you want to buy something, you have to buy the stuff well, that's trailed.
2: Yeah. And by the way, I actually think ultimately, um, if the market does close higher next year, this year's winners will ultimately be the next year's winners. But I think they're mm-hmm. vulnerable in a pullback, and I think they mm-hmm. lead the way. But guy, I, I'm, I'm, you know, back to what Gunlock was saying too. And again, you know, like you know, I've been very wrong on, on on the broad market, and I made this point last night on Fast Money. I mean, there was a time in late October where the S&P had given back, you know, two thirds of its gains from its highs on the year. And I thought we were going to be unchanged for fundamental reasons. I did not expect this sort of pivot. And, and I think you're in agreement. But, but Gunlock said something really interesting. He said stocks need bonds. But at some point, Bonds don't need stocks, Mm -hmm. okay? So, and I want to pull up Carter's charts um, here for a second. And I'd love to get your take on this because Carter is looking at the two. He's looking at the 10-year yield. I mean, there's clear breaks. And he has been all over this. He's been calling for that move. He called for the move, the breakout above 4%, okay, in the 10-year. And then he said, let him go when they got to five percent, and then he kept on pressing. So, if you look at the two year, and to your point, Liz, there was a much bigger move right in the twos than there was yet last year in the tens or yesterday. And then, if you look at the tens, so talk to me about that comment because I think what what he's saying is that next year, you know, bonds can continue to rally, but it's going to be and it's exactly what you've been saying. But that's not exactly going to be great for stocks.
0: Yeah, and Carter. Yes, and these are Carter's charts, by the way, but. Carter's point for a while has been there will be a point in this, you know, in this interest rate environment where lower rates become detrimental to equities. I thought it was going to be again, incorrectly, somewhere around four and a half percent on the way down. That proved to be incorrect. But now here we are in the 10 year sub that. But I don't, again, maybe it's not so much about the rate, it's about, you know, the speed with which we get here and then sort of the, I don't know, the inference the market starts to draw from, wait a second, what is really going on here? So I think, to Gunlock's point, the bond yields can continue to go lower. That's not necessarily going to be supportive of equities. And before we sort of move on, because I don't think I had a chance to ask Elizabeth about this, but one of the things that she's brought up a number of times, and I think this is interesting, especially in the context of yields, is the one thing the Fed had been watching until yesterday, apparently was this super core inflation, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, has sort of reaccelerated. And I was surprised that they took the stance that they did against a backdrop where the one thing they've talked about, Elizabeth, of watching is the one thing that actually is working against them. Thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, well, I've long believed if, yeah, if you take all the problematic things out of inflation, of course, it looks fine. So the super core measure is core, so take out food and energy, and then you take out shelter. And- that's the reading that they had talked about as being the most important one, that one actually does look okay. And you're hearing, you'll hear this all over the media. You'll hear a six month average of PCE is at 2%. Mm -hmm. You'll hear all these different metrics actually being at target. The reality is, and what he said yesterday is that it's still not there. And luckily they are still watching CPI and not just core PCE. So I think that's going to save consumers in some ways because they're declaring it's not over yet. Inflation is not where we need it to be. And I think that's good. Here's the thing about shelter, because there's been this huge debate about shelter. We're going to take shelter out the Fed probably has to set policy without looking at shelter inflation because it's so lagging and because this particular cycle has made it a little bit distorted. But consumers obviously cannot live their lives without paying for shelter. So there's this complete mismatch right now, in my opinion, about what the Fed is trying to do in the measures that they're watching versus what consumers are actually dealing with and what consumers are actually feeling. And when my outlook drops tomorrow morning, Mm -hmm. you will see a chart in there that shows you the cumulative effect of transportation costs, energy costs, food costs, and shelter, how much they've grown since 2019 versus how much wages have grown. Inflation has far outpaced wages. So that's why you get this, this mismatch too about consumers saying, you know, I don't feel great about the economy but then you've got the market saying, everything's fine, right? Somebody's gonna be wrong. And my bet is that the consumer is the one that holds the power here.
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting. We brought this up on many occasions. You know, like like just look at the the political polls, right? Like, so mm-hmm. the folks that are, are being polled and answering the questions don't feel good about the economy. And you would think with the Dow Jones Industrial Average at a new all time high, which is the measure of the stock market that most of America think about, and kind of also equate it to what's going on with the economy. You know what I mean? It's not getting a whole heck of a lot of play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you think about it, so um, I I find that pretty fascinating. Talk to us a little bit about the focus um, of your note tomorrow. I know you were thinking about the dot plots. The dot plots are really where, you know, there's this whole notion um, that, you know, and I think Steve Leesman guy said this, that, you know, Fed chair Powell did this pivot because he really thought he was going to lose the the voting members uh, of the uh, committee. And so I heard that, yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's reflective, I guess that that's what, you know, people, when they talk about this dot plot, so talk to us a little bit about your analysis what you're thinking about it. Cause sometimes it's really good. I'm sure you took a breath yesterday, <laughs> you went home and then you put pen to paper here and you thought about what you're going to do. Like what, you know, Ultimately, um, you were saying a week ago that, you know, again, you know, these these rate cuts have been pulled forward. What's changed in your mind? Because you were already there.
1: Yeah. Uh not much, yeah. frankly. And and they got pulled forward even more. So now March is a lock. Yeah. And here's here's what I would say. Think about 2024. There are eight Fed meetings next year. Right now, the market is suggesting that we are going to get a cut in six of those eight meetings. That's a lot. So the inconsistencies I think are running rampant. And it could be that. It turns out the other side of the coin is the one that's correct. Obviously, this year that was the case. But the inconsistencies, and and that's one of the big ones for me. Okay, if we're going to cut rates six out of eight meetings next year, but the economy is still supposed to be strong, the consumer is going to continue spending, the labor market is holding up, blah, 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 blah. Why in the world do we need to cut six out of eight meetings? Something about that isn't matching. And even if you condense those cuts into, let's say, It happens later in the year. If it's still six times, that means we're getting some 50 basis point cuts. That's more of a rescue plan. That's not something that is normalizing policy. So something isn't quite matching up. The other inconsistency is, and I put this in the note, the note that's called 525,600 minutes. Those of you that are Broadway fans, you will now have that song in your head for the rest of the day. What a difference a year makes. So you've got the first chart, if we can just bring that up. December is one of the times where we get the Fed's summary of economic projections. The blue bars are last December. The magenta bars are this December. So basically things turned out a lot better than even the Fed thought. And they turned out to be behind the eight ball on that. A lot of us turned out to be behind the eight ball on that. What I heard from him yesterday, again, is that so this year they were not as optimistic. They were worried that inflation was going to stay higher. It came down faster than they expected. They were worried growth was going to slow. It actually stayed stronger than they expected. So for 2024, they're like, you know what? Maybe we were wrong. Maybe things are going okay. And they changed their projections a little bit to look more optimistic as, as if we're baking in a soft landing. But then if you go to the next chart, You can see where the Fed is telling us. This is that famous dot plot. The Fed is that blue line. So that's the median of Mm -hmm. the dots. Each dot is a voter. That's where the Fed is telling us rates are going to be in 2024, at the end of 2024. The market is the red line. The market is like, nice try. You got closer, but not quite. And this is where I think we're going to see 2024 be an argument between the market and the Fed, which I'll get to use one of my favorite sayings, what came first, the market or the Fed? Nice. I'll use it all the time in 24. But the market is still arguing and saying, no, we want more cuts than that. We want more cuts than that. And I think people just aren't quite playing through what that means i don't think we want more cuts
2: Guy. so this is like a season of love uh for jerome powell
1: <laughs> season it's, of doves oh. is what i called it oh all
2: right fair yeah. enough season um guy what do you make of that okay so like you, you and i've talked about this a bit you know 2023 was almost the mirror opposite of 2022 right and if you think about how bearish people came in this year how focused or you know consensus was for a recession in 2023, the whole idea that Liz lays out in this chart in particular, what's at odds with each other, what the market is saying and what the Fed is saying, I mean, something's going to have to give. Um, do you expect this to be a very volatile period cuz i guess the easy work has been done and if we're in the in the throes of a blow off we know how blow offs you know end, end up resol- you know resol- you know resolving themselves i guess
0: i i think it's abs- i think the the theme for 24 might be we've seen volatility in currencies we've seen volatility in commodities we've obviously seen volatility in yields globally I think 24 is the year we're going to see renewed volatility in equity markets, and that's going to be the upside and the downside. So I think people, I think getting back to the word we used before, that complacency that yeah. has permeated the market this year correctly, for the most part, is going to be replaced next year. And this, I look at this, and it's interesting. I, I love this stuff. I could look at it all day. But the outliers that have been there for quite some time, and the outliners, meaning those single... Dots to the upside. They've gotten themselves in line, so everybody seems to be aligning themselves now. And you know, one can say that alignment might be the beginning of something new moving forward. So when you know, you had a lot of people seemingly not off sides, but with varying degrees of certainty or expectations, or seemingly coming around to a point in time where everybody is seemingly on the same page that might be the time when people shouldn't be on the same page, somewhat yeah. counterintuitive, but that's how I look at this as well, Dan.
2: Well, I mean, that's how Jeffrey Unlock was. Let, let's look at um, a part of the equity complex that has been very sensitive to these rate moves. And that would be uh, small caps, right? So the Russell mm-hmm. 2000, let's look at the IWM. We have a one-year chart. Look at that guy mm-hmm. to the penny where it stopped, right? So that's a one-year high. And if we want to look at, maybe those guys can pull up a five-year chart and to the sort of volatility that you're, kind of talking about that we might see in the S&P or the NASDAQ. I mean, look at how the Russell, which is still significantly Below its late 2021. Just look at that year and a half. You know what I mean? And 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 what's happened over that period of time. Just numerous, you know, 20% drops and pops and the like here. And again, you know, if you think that this has legs, rates go lower for the right reasons and equities are going to play catch up or are going to be reflected in in a you know more, you know, stable economic environment, then you're going to want to play catch up here. I'm not chasing them here. I just, I, I just think it's important to bring that up, Liz.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, I I watch small caps very closely. Looking at this chart as a longer term chart, it's almost clear that they're in a trading range. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's a wider range, Mm -hmm. but it's a range. And if you look at the big recovery that happened in 2020, that's how it should work for small caps. We had a recession. We had a deep drawdown. The market was down 35%. They bounced the hardest on the other side of that. That's exactly what happened. And then they stayed elevated for a while. But now it appears that we're just kind of stuck here because Again, respect the cycle. We don't know that we're in early cycle behavior. I find it really hard to believe that we can get back to early cycle behavior without some kind of speed bump. So small caps just still can't quite get off the mat in a decided fashion.
0: I look at this quickly, Dan, and you know it's interesting. I'm glad you brought this up because the levels that we're at now, this is the levels, and you can see it in the chart. We topped out at August of '22. I mean, the the tops are right there. And if you go back to the other chart, real quick, but Also, and there you go. Those are the tops. Now, toggle back quickly. Now, you see that prior high, as Elizabeth just said, early in 2020 was basically the same support we traded down to over the same period of time. So as she clearly outlined correctly, we're in a very well-defined range. But I think the question people should ask here is, all right, obviously very economically sensitive. The tailwind of lower rates should theoretically help. But It's also on a backdrop where throw last week's unemployment rate going lower out for a second and just listen to the commentary that we heard again. And I'm not making Hasbro out to be the market, but seemingly on a weekly basis, we hear from two major companies about uh, cuts in employment and job cuts for a myriad of different reasons, none of which matter if you're the person getting laid off, but it's happening right before our eyes. So one has to ask themselves, I think, how can small caps continue to have this type of trajectory higher and a backdrop of what's going to be higher unemployment mm-hmm. and slower growth? So that's how I look at this, Dan.
1: One of the other things, the other contradictions or the the things that's inconsistent is when we got the summary of economic projections yesterday, the, I think the Fed was consistent because they projected GDP for next year as 1.4% growth, mm-hmm. which is below trend, right? Trend is somewhere between one and a half and 2%. And they've been saying for a long time, we need a period of below trend growth to take care of inflation. OK, fine. So one. Point four percent next year. And now the Fed doesn't make fundamental projections for the equity market, but one point four percent GDP growth in an economy seventy percent driven by the consumer in a year that we're also expecting five and a half percent revenue growth on the s and p and twelve percent earnings growth. One of those isn't going to like the mm-hmm. math doesn't math on that. So I don't know where it's going to come from. Either GDP is going to have to surprise way to the upside versus what the Fed thinks or earnings and revenue growth is going to have to surprise to the downside.
2: Yeah. And, you know, there's a headline guy, um, I'm sure caught your attention this morning, IEA um, on oil demand and and what it's kind of signaling as far as weak demand and for mm-hmm. global growth. And I just wanted to pull up the XLE here for a second, because this is also a sector, if you just look at the energy select, and we know that large integrateds are a big part of that. They were trading very near, um, you know, those, those all-time highs. I think those were all-time highs. Right. And, and you see that, um, you know, we had that rejection and now we're Below that uptrend that's been in place for more than a year or so. And to me, just that's purely technical. You know, that, that doesn't look great, in my opinion. Um, and that looks like a really heavy chart. But it brings me back to a year ago, um, you know, when people you know, I mean, people were were pretty um, geeked up about this group and it's performed pretty decently, but it seems like it's churning a little bit. And is this an area that you want to place a similar sort of emphasis as you would, let's say on
0: small caps um, as kind of getting a read on the economy here? It's, a, it's amazing. Again, one of the amongst many confusing things, energy has been that for me this year, you know, y- yeah. we, you know, we started the year, I was very optimistic of energy. that that looked pretty smart at the time. And as we got into the summer, I was feeling pretty good about things. Uh, obviously the world changed considerably for the underlying commodity, but you still have an energy space, which I get it, It's challenged in terms of demand. And obviously production, I think has surprised people, but you also have, and we've talked about this, I don't want to belabor it, but you also have M&A that we haven't seen in the space for quite some time over the last couple of months. And again, I think it was today Warren Buffett announced an additional purchase of Occidental Petroleum, which now has a stake, I think, north of 27%. So something just doesn't add up. You know, you have MA in the space from some of the biggest companies in the energy patch. You have Warren Buffett making a pretty big play in the space himself against a backdrop where seemingly global growth and the China problem is weighing heavily on not only the commodity, but the underlying equity. So I wish I had a good answer for you. Unfortunately, I don't. But looking at this chart, you're right to point out that it does not look particularly good. Um, All right, let's hit Toll
2: Brothers here, because this is actually one of the more confounding things if I'm looking at home builders today. And again, the headline was that the 30-year mortgage is back below 7%. We know it ticked up to 8%. We know a year and a half ago it was below 3%. We know the supply-demand dynamics. I mean, this thing is up 50% in less than two months. Okay. So just think about that. And to see, you know, the CEO basically having a hissy fit that his stock is still cheap. Okay. Relative to the, I mean, that's what he's essentially doing by announcing this buyback. Okay. Now, it doesn't mean that they're buying the stock back at an all time high, up 50% in two months, Liz. But when you see this sort of behavior in a sector that you would think, even where rates are right now, Like it's not a great place given where the consumer might be. You know what I mean? It's not a great place to be piling into these names. I mean, this seems like an accident waiting to happen. People bookmark that comment right here. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of accidents waiting to happen, at this, especially yeah. with charts that look like this. But you know what? It will happen the same way that it happens every time the market goes up especially in this aggressive of a fashion, people will get FOMO. I think all of us, if we're really being honest, have had moments of like, wait, what is going on? Am yep. I missing it? People will get FOMO. And right at that moment where everybody gets FOMO, it moves in the other direction. Now we've talked about housing. We've talked about housing adjacent stocks. We've talked about home builders quite a bit. Home builders is one of those sectors of the economy that much like semiconductors, when yep. there's enthusiasm, yep. it's just it's just gonna run. <laughs> And you got to let it run, right? If you're in it, kudos to you. It's just about making sure you can call the inflection point on the other t- on the other side and being rational about yeah. it, right? Yes, mortgage rates are down. I've actually talked about this on CNBC a little bit, that one of the strange things of this cycle is because it was so driven by rates, we all expected housing to fall, but then the housing market just froze. It didn't really go down. So it froze. As rates come down, you've had all these people waiting, chomping at the bit to buy a house Rates will come down, they come back in. So I think you actually see a surge for a minute before and, and if the economy falls right, apart. Then and, you and just it. to be
2: really clear, on Monday, December 4th, on the market call, I did a bearish trade idea using options in January expiration on toll when it was trading at Here it is, people, at $104. I'm glad that I was looking at um, a put spread and I defined my risk. I also signaled that I wanted to use a 50% premium stop on that. I am obviously stopped out. And if you weren't stopped out, it's a a dead bang loser all around. All right, let's do it. If it's Thursday, guy, it's... Well, you know what it is. It's butters. It's Butters. Okay, so John Butters, he is the Senior Earnings Insight Analyst over there at FactSet. He gives us a preview on the Thursday market call of his Earnings Insight blog that drops on Friday. You guys know where to find it. You can get it over there um, at FactSet. So Butters guy is looking at, okay, what is ultimately consensus for 2023 earnings and revenue growth. We are expecting uh, 0.7% for the S&P 500 calendar 2023 compared to earnings growth of 4% for calendar year 2022. Eight sectors are expected to uh, report growth rather by consumer discretionary. Three sectors are expected to report a decline led by energy. Okay. Well, that is backward looking. Let's Mm -hmm. focus on 2024. Okay. We all have a good sense of 2023. Analysts expect the S&P 500 to report double-digit earnings growth in 2024. Estimated year-over Year earnings growth uh, rate is eleven point eight percent, which Liz you just mentioned um, above the trailing ten year average earnings growth rate of eight point four percent. Analysts are expecting the highest earnings growth in Q four. So, Guy, it's back end loaded in twenty twenty four.
0: Well, it better be heavily back end loaded because, to Elizabeth's point earlier, the math the, it's it's math and the math given the projections for GDP, you know, it just doesn't add up. And oddly enough oddly enough in a in, in an inflation environment where things are slowing down i'm not saying that's going lower inflation is not going lower the rate of growth is slowing down that's typically a headwind for earnings somewhat counterintuitive so none of this these projections are fine but the math doesn't add up and by the way what elizabeth said eerily reminiscent of what Doug Cass said. And I'm not suggesting they probably didn't even see each other's emails, but you know, mm-hmm. Doug Cass pointed out the same thing that Liz did. And I'm just pointing out the obvious that there's no way the math works with these expectations.
1: Well, earnings, earnings and revenue are also suggesting margin expansion in 2024. And again, the math on that, if you've got revenue growth five, five and a half, you've got earnings growth somehow double that, Margin expansion, unless we've got this huge surge in spending that nobody sees coming, margin expansion really only happens if they're cost cutting. And as far as I know, they've cut costs everywhere they can. They've cut ad spending, they've cut marketing, they've cut a lot of overhead. There's been cuts across the board where they haven't cut yet. Is labor, and I think that's the only thing left, which is what we have to. Watch.
2: Yeah, and I'll I'll just push back for a second there. The dollar coming in, yields coming in. I mean, sure. like that that certainly helps margins on a whole host of sorts of you know different sectors mm-hmm. and companies and the like here. So again, we're going to continue to track uh, both of those things. Uh, listen, people ask us all of the time, where do we get these tricked out charts and analytics, and how do you get access to all these news stories? We're well, right there, people um, at FactSet. There, find sponsor and data partner, and you can get yourself. A a free trial and check it all out um, yourself. Go to factset.com slash LP slash MRKT dash
0: call. Look at that. Um, check it all out there. The guy, that's it man we covered a lot we covered a lot and you know we started by our mea culpas and i think we've been consistent with that and i do listen i it it bothers me i mean you know you talk about the things that keep me up at night i mean these are the things that keep me up at night we take a great deal of pride in the work that we do and the research we put into it and the effort we put into it and you obviously want to be right i mean i (laughs) i don't want to be right for the reasons i am but you you know you want your work to mean something so i throw that out there but again you got to stay with it because despite the fact that there's this euphoria out there now in my world, I think your world and, and, ter- and some of the things that Elizabeth said, nothing really has fundamentally changed in terms of the backdrop. Anyway, that's it. I do want to thank EY from so far. I want to thank the audience. Dan, Nathan, we won't be back tomorrow, tomorrow being Friday, unless something weird happens. Weird being a weird word in and of itself. But we'll be back on Monday. And by the way, uh, we have our podcast that will drop tomorrow. We have Stuart Sop of Current joining us, Dan. Nathan. Yeah, yeah, we do. And we also have
2: EY from SoFi on us on the Monday edition of the On The Tape podcast. So check that out, people. If you're not subscribed, check it out. Also, you know where to find Liz on the Twitter. That's at Liz Youngstrat. Guy and I are on the Insta. He's Guy.Adami. I am, uh, I'm, what am i am my Dan S. Nathan? There's all the stuff. Go follow. We're putting a lot of content on there. So we appreciate the follows. We appreciate you checking us out. Have a great weekend, people. We'll see you on Monday.